Well, good morning. All right, this morning we are getting back to the series that we were in back in March, and so today is Way of Wisdom Part 12, and if you've been only coming to church here for a little while, say six weeks or seven weeks or eight weeks or so, you might say, wait, I don't think we were in a series called Way of Wisdom, and how we definitely aren't in Part 12 of anything, and so I just wanted to let you know, we actually started this back before you came here, if you're fairly new. Um, back in January, and going from January into March, we did a series called Way of Wisdom, and we were preaching verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. And then when March hit, we took a little break for Easter, to, in order to preach about Easter stuff. And then after that, we continued to stay on that break, and we did a series called Intentional. And that was a series on the mission and the vision of our church, right? That we exist to love God, to love each other, and to love people who... Don't know God yet. Very good. I'm glad you were listening. And so that was the intentional series. And so now what we're doing is just picking up right where we left off back in March. And we're going to, again, start going verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. Um, so this is Way of Wisdom, Part 12, Adultery. And the reason why it's titled that is because that's what the passage is about. And I would say typically this topic is one that you don't just hit people with out of the blue. Like normally, if you're going to talk about adultery in church, I feel like there's a, there's like a buildup to it. And like, here we go. And then next week, and this is what we've been talking about. And finally, we're there. And because of the way that it just worked, that we preached through Proverbs and then took a break, and then we start right back up here, it just sort of feels like, surprise, adultery. But really, we... We did build up to it, like we preached the verses that came before this, um, and then now we just happen to pick up where we left off, which is Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so that's the reason why this sermon is what it's on, it's because that's what those chapters are about, Proverbs 5 through 7. Most of Proverbs 5 through 7 are warnings against adultery. The exception would be Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. That's one little section in this larger section that is on other topics. But with the exception of that little bit, um, this part of Proverbs, all of chapter 5, the second half of chapter 6, all of chapter 7, they are three speeches about sexual immorality. And when you put them all together, it's about 66 Bible verses that are on this topic. I think this is the topic that, the, that Proverbs talks about the most, at least all in a row and real close together like this, 66 verses um, on this topic. And so at first, when I was thinking about how to handle this at church on Sunday morning, um, I thought, well, we should handle them all together. Like these three speeches, these three chapters on adultery, we should just handle them all at once because they're all on the same topic. They all say the same kinds of things. It's not really three different messages. It's kind of the same thing. And so I thought we should teach Proverbs 5 through 7 all together. And then I thought, whoo, like when I got a little closer to the time, I went, this is a lot of verses. Like, this is too many verses for me to teach you in one Sunday, right? Reading, if I read all three chapters to you, um, or at least all of the parts that are about adultery, that 66 verses, it would, it would feel like half of the sermon was just me reading the passage. So I said, okay, I can't read all three chapters. So then I considered that I would just read some excerpts from these three chapters to kind of give you the gist of it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I didn't want to do that, because what I want is I want you to get the full effect of these chapters, and I don't know how you can get the full effect if you don't get it all. And so at some point I realized these chapters are actually speeches from a father to his sons. And it's not just like just words that are just, these are, these are just random words that are there. These are, these are father-to-son speeches. A, a, a father is giving his son a sex talk, 
And that's what these are. That's what chapters 5, 6, and 7, that's what the verses are. And so I realized, you know what, I could, I could take half the sermon and just read it to you. Um, and maybe you wouldn't think it was boring if I read it like that, like read it like a father speaking to his son about this. And so I, could, I thought to myself, I could just act this out, right? I have a theater background. I could just read these verses like a father speaking to his son. So that's what I'm going to do, all right? And that's why the living room setup is here. So you, I want you to picture... We're in somebody's house, okay? We're in somebody's living room, and it's a dad talking to his son. He's giving his son a sex talk, not the sex talk. You know, back in the day, there was the one, like when the kid is like 12 or something, you have this one. This is not that. We're talking about an adult son. He's already married, okay? So picture, I'm going to say picture a kid who's, picture a guy, a man who's like maybe 20, 21 years old, newlywed, just got married last year. And his dad is talking to him, and his dad is, let's make him um, like maybe in his early 50s. So picture a father who's a little bit older than me, talking to a son who's maybe 21 years old, who just got married recently. And I'm just going to read it to you like that. I just want you to imagine a father, along, because this isn't exactly written the way we talk. So I want you to imagine a father, a long time ago, saying this. my son. Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. <sighs> Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end she's as bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know her ways are unstable. So now, my sons, listen to me and don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door to her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your earnings will end up in a foreigner's house. And at the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say, how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. And I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my mentors. And I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Drink water from your own cistern. Water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares, they should be for you alone, not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed. Take pleasure in the wife of your youth a loving doe, a graceful fawn. Let her, breasts always, eh, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you be infatuated with a forbidden woman or embrace the breast of a stranger? For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes. He considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities entrap him. He is entangled in the ropes of his own sin. And he will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. 
My son, keep your father's command. And, and don't reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you when you lie down. They will watch over you when you wake up. They will talk to you. For a command is a lamp. Teaching is a light. And corrective discipline, the way to life. They will protect you from an evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a stranger. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but an adulteress goes after a precious life. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Hmm? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise the thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. And still, if caught, he must pay seven times as much. He must give up all the wealth in his house. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. He will get a beating and dishonor, and his disgrace will never be removed, for jealousy enrages a husband. And he will show no mercy when he takes revenge, and he will not be appeased by anything or be persuaded by lavish gifts. My son, obey my words and treasure my commands and live. Protect my teachings as the pupil of your eye. Tie them to your fingers. Write them on a tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, she's my sister. And call understanding your relative. And she will keep you from a forbidden woman. A stranger with her flattering talk. At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house at twilight, in the evening, in the dark of night. A woman came to meet him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home now in the streets, now in the squares. She lurks at every corner. And she, she grabs him and kisses him and brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I've fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you to search for you, and I found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. 
Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and he will come home at the time of the full moon. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with her flattering talk, and he follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it'll cost him his life. And so now, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. That's our scripture for this morning, and those verses, the reason I wanted, I think one benefit of me reading the verses to you that way is I, want, I wanted you to feel the weight of those passages in a way that you could not with sound bites. Do you get what he's saying there? Obviously, I don't know the exact tone that the author intended. I had to make some guesses and use a little creative license. But regardless of the tone, when you hear all of the chapters read in their entirety, I think it's really obvious what he's saying. He's telling his son, adultery will destroy you. That's the point of this section of Proverbs. It's that simple. That's what he's saying. So for the rest of this sermon, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, first of all, deal with an objection that people have toward this passage, like something that people don't like about Proverbs 5 through 7, and then some application points of how we can apply it to our lives. First, I'll start with the objection. Um, I, maybe there are people in this room that feel this way. I don't know. There's certainly people that talk like this online, and I assume people maybe talk like this in real life, that they come across passages like this, particularly Proverbs 5 through 7, and they say, why does the temptress in this passage have to be a woman? What's the problem here? This is the, the Bible always does this. Why does the Bible have to make the woman out to be the bad guy? What is the deal with that? Um, especially in this case, I mean, goodness gracious, this woman seems like a sexual predator, and do they not realize that, like, hello, a man is much more likely to do that than a woman? So why do they got to make the woman the bad guy here? It's not even realistic. And, and to be honest, why, does, why do these Christians always have to make sexual sin out to be the woman's fault? What's the whole thing about like this assumption that they're all men are all walking around innocent, you know, and then we've got to make sure that we don't tempt them and everything's always the woman's fault, right? That makes sense that someone would object to that? All right, let me deal with it. First, to answer the question, why is it a woman temptress? This is my answer to you. And, and I hope that this, what I'm about to say, is really obvious considering how I just read the passage. <laughs> The reason why it is the way it is, I think, is because this passage is not a generic sex education textbook. 
That's not what this is. This is not a textbook about how to handle sex with little definitions and genitals, blah, 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 and this is her body parts and this is his and, you know, all sterile and whatever. This is not a generic sex education textbook. These are father-to-son speeches. So why is the temptress a woman? Because it's a dad talking to his son who's married to a woman, right? This isn't generic advice. This This is a dad looking out for his son, telling him what to look out for. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1, it starts off with, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding. There's no textbook that starts off with those words. Verse 7, or sorry, chapter 7, verse 1. My son, obey my words and treasure my commands. This is a man. That's so the reason why the, woman, the temptress is a woman is this is a man who's talking to a man who's married to a woman, and so there's an assumption of uh, heterosexual behavior. Right? I'm talking to my son who's married to a woman. And this would have been very, the, the idea of heterosexual behavior within a culture would have been very, very common in ancient Israel. So if you find yourself in a different situation than the person in this passage, right? If you look at yourself and go, okay, well, I'm not in the same exact position that this young man is in, then what do you do? Well, what you do is you have to pay attention to the whole of the scripture, like what do all, what do these, all these chapters say? And then when you, once you understand what it says, you take the principle that's there or the principles that are there and you apply them to your life, even if you're in a slightly different situation or in a very different situation. So you may be here and you may be single or you may be a woman or you may be attracted to the same sex and you might go, well, I'm not like the person in this story. Yeah, you're not. So what do you do? You take the, you take the principle within the story and you apply it to your life. So if you're here this morning and you're single, you go, I'm not married, well, what am I going to do? Well, you can't just read the passage and go, well, I'm just going to do what it says. One of the things it says is, take pleasure in the wife of your youth. If you're here today and you're not married, then you can't obey that verse, right? You can't apply that verse to your life. You don't have a wife. Or if you're here and you're a woman, all right, and you read this passage, you should not deal with your Bible so woodenly that you go, all right, the passage says to watch out for the adulteress. So I've got to watch out for the adulteress. No, for the vast majority of you, if you're a married woman here and you're married to a man, for the, ma- the majority of you, you need to watch out for the adulterer, right? Not the adulteress. You need to watch out for the adulterer. You just have to switch the sexes here as you apply it to your life. Let's say you're someone who's attracted to the same sex, okay? Let's say, oh, we'll just make up a situation here. Let's say, you are a, let's say you're a man, who's attracted to both sexes. Let's say you're a man, you're attracted to both sexes, and you're married to a woman. And you come to this passage in the Bible, and you read it. You are not, I think you are not supposed to read it and go to yourself, all right, it says to watch out for an adulteress, that's all it says to watch out for, so that's all I got to do. No, you got to watch out for the adulteress and the adulterer, because there's two different sources of temptation for you. You've got to apply this to your life. So that's my first answer as to why a woman tempers, because this is, this is a father-to-son speech that's specific. And then you have to unspecific it and then re-specific it for you. And the other thing is, Proverbs is a poetic book, and if you did not know that, now you do. If you were with us earlier in the year, you would know Proverbs is a poetic book. So there are images in it that are not literal, right? There are times when there are concepts that are personified, particularly concepts that are personified into women. So wisdom is a woman in the book of Proverbs. Do you guys remember that? Okay, so wisdom, obviously, the concept of wisdom is not, um, not a man or a woman, right? Wisdom itself doesn't have genitals or chromosomes or whatever. But wisdom is called a woman in Proverbs. Like, there's multiple verses that we had already covered that say, you need to, you need to look out for her, you need to embrace her, and then she will protect you. 
who's the she? Wisdom. And then later on, we're going to come up in Proverbs to um, a person named folly or foolishness. And foolishness in Proverbs is a woman. And she calls out and says, hey, hey, listen to me. And Proverbs has her as a woman. And in this verse, we have a woman being talked about for three chapters. And I don't know for sure what we're supposed to, like how, how literal versus how figurative do we take this? In some ways, it seems like you just, if you read through these passages, she, this, the woman in this passage sort of does seem to be like Mrs. Temptation. And you've got to watch out for her. That this would be a very poetic way of saying to watch out for Mrs. Temptation. On the other hand, I do think the father is warning his son of actual women. Like, you can't commit adultery with a symbol, right? So obviously, there are real women that he is concerned about. And so as we look at this and go, why is the tempters a woman? Well, because we've got this symbolic book that talks about different things about women. This, I don't know if this woman is specifically a symbol of temptation, but I, it's almost certainly that she does not stand for all women. <laughs> and I don't think she stands for one specific woman either. I don't think this dad was like looking at like a particular woman in the village, okay, named whatever, let's pick an old name, Zipporah, all right? And he goes, oh, there's Zipporah, son, I really want you to watch out for her. I don't think he's thinking about a specific woman because the way the whole thing ends is chapter 7, verses 25 through 27. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she has brought, what's the next word? Many down to death. Really? One, one girl, Zipporah, all by herself, has brought many men down to death. Is that possible? Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol. Now, Sheol is the, um, the like, ancient term and like the Hebrew word for the realm of the dead. We already can see there's po- like poetic license being used here. We can tell that this is poetic because it says her house is the road to the realm of the dead. Well, her house is not literally the road to the realm of the dead, right? He's speaking poetically here descending to the chambers of death. And so we have this woman that he's supposed to watch out for who has caused countless men to fall down. And so I I think that maybe he's not talking about a particular woman. I don't think he's talking about all women. Maybe he's talking about a type of woman. The fact that he would say she has brought many down to his death, I think the father may be saying, this is a situation that's happened a lot of times before. This is a temptation. This is a concern that has taken down a whole bunch of people. And that's why I'm warning you. And again, you go, well, why is, he, well, why is it got to be a woman? Again, because it's a father speaking to his son who's married to a woman. The last thing I want to address is this idea that, like, well, why do, why do the Bible always make it sound like the women are doing the tempting and the men are like these innocent ones? And it's, the, it's the, always got to be the woman's fault. And I just want to be clear, what the man does is the man's fault, not the woman's fault. Like, the man is responsible for his behavior in the book of Proverbs. If you didn't catch that, I just want to point it out to you. Because the moral of the story is, she's so tempting, you can do, it's, not, it's not she's so tempting, you can do nothing about it, right? The, the goal is you got to do something to change her. No, he says to his son, let's look at verse 11 of chapter 5, at the end of your life, you will lament. That is, if she, she's, she's luring you, and if you fall for it, at the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed, and you will say, and this is interesting, you will not say, but I couldn't help it. No, he says, at the end of your life, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers. So in other words, the, the, the dad here, when he's saying to his son, he's saying, there's a temptation there, and if you fall for it, it's on you. And so I wanted you to see that that's in there. 
Okay? Men are responsible for men's sins. Women are responsible for women's sins. And I don't, I'm not saying all men are responsible for the sins of all men and all women are responsible for the sins of all women. I mean a man is responsible for what he does and a woman is responsible for what she does before the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. All right, so let's move on to our application points. Here we go. I have three of them for you this morning. The first one is flee temptation. Flee temptation. If you look at what the dad says in chapter 5, he says in verse 8, keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Isn't that interesting? That instruction, don't go near the door of her house, is not commands about how he's supposed to handle his sexual parts, is it? He's telling him what to do with his feet, right? Don't go near the door of her house. He's not even, in that particular verse, he's not even getting into sexual stuff yet. He says, don't go near the door of her house, to which you could imagine the son might go, really, dad? Like, that's a sin? Like, walking through her neighborhood? Is that a sin? And I think the answer is no. Generally speaking, walking through her neighborhood is not a sin. But I'm telling you, son, not to walk through her neighborhood. And I think that could apply to you in this day and age. Let's say you're a woman and you're at work and there's a guy that you find attractive and things are not going so well at home and you've thought to yourself like, oh my gosh, he would be so better than the one I'm stuck with. And then you walk past his office and down that hallway, well, there he is, you know, he's there in his office. And I would say to you, quit walking down that hallway past his office. Oh, really, pastor? Because it's a sin to walk down that hallway? No, I am not saying it is a sin to walk down that hallway. I'm telling you, quit walking down that hallway. Look at chapter 6, verse 25. The dad here says, Don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. Again, this is not instructions for how he's supposed to handle his sexual parts. He doesn't say here, don't sleep with this woman, right? That's, it's obvious that's the message of the whole three chapters. Don't sleep with this woman. But in this particular passage, he says, don't lust in your heart for her beauty. Don't let her, this is interesting, captivate you with her eyelashes. Eyelashes are not a sexual part, right? He's not, in this verse, he's not saying, hey, don't, don't sleep with her. He's saying, don't be captivated by her. Well, how, where does that happen? That happens up here. He says, don't lust in your heart. Well, where does lust happen? Lust happens inside you. And so to flee temptation, it's not just don't do these things with my body. The instruction here is what you're supposed to do with your mind. The dad is saying, before you even get to the place where you decide what to do with your body, you've got to decide what you're going to do with your mind. Don't lust in your heart. And the New Testament also talks about lust being a sin. Jesus spoke about lust. And in fact, Proverbs and Jesus talk about lust in some ways similarly, that they're both bad, but also a little bit differently because it seems to me in Proverbs that lust is sort of the step before adultery that could lead to it, whereas when Jesus spoke about lust, he actually described it as adultery in your heart. And so we are to not lust. And there may be some of you that go like, is that even possible? In fact, not too long ago, someone came up to me here at church after a sermon, and they said, lust, is that even, like, to, to not lust, is that even possible? Like, we, you know, you look at a woman, and, and you have a thought, like, is it even, is it even possible? Like, 
Christianity says don't lust? Is that even a thing humans can do? And I said to him, we actually had a long conversation about it, but the short answer, one of the things I said to him was, I quoted a friend of mine, his name's Josh, and Josh said this to me one time. He said, he said, you can't stop a bird from pooping on your head, but you can stop one from making a nest in your hair. And I thought that was so good. Because it's true, you can't, you can't control stuff that comes from above, right? You, who knows if that's going to happen? That might just be a bad day and you can't do anything about it. But you can prevent one from making a nest in your hair. That, that's on you. I don't know that you can control every little thought that pops into your mind. I understand sometimes you go to the beach and suddenly you see like way more than you planned on, right? And I get that and the thought pops in your mind. I'm not sure you can control every little thought that pops in your mind. But you can control what you dwell on. You control what you fantasize about and what you go about. You do. We all do. And so when we think about not lusting after her beauty, I think that many people in this room, not all of you, but many of you are going to need to apply this to your life specifically when it comes to the topic of porn. That if you're not going to lust, you're going to have to stop fueling your lust by continually giving it the gasoline of porn. Now, you might say, well, the passage doesn't even talk about porn, Mario. That's correct, it doesn't. This was written 3,000 years ago. They didn't have any. The camera had not been invented yet. There was no pornography. This father does not warn his son about something that had not yet been invented. Instead, the father warns his son about something that, that, that like, could be a thing for him, right? He tries to set up a situation that was more realistic in that culture rather than something that had not been invented yet. He says in chapter 7, verse 13... She grabs him and kisses him, and she brazenly says to him, and then later on, it's, uh, so I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. I have spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. That's the way he describes it, and he says to his son, watch out for that. Now, if you just take this overly literally and you go, okay, that's what I got to watch out for. That's the temptation I need to watch out for. There are some of you who are going to be in this room and go, well, that's going to be real easy to watch out for that temptation. That like never happens to me, right? When you say that, I, I bet you most, of the, most of us in this room would say, yeah, coming up to me in public and kissing me and saying, my husband's not home, sleep with me. That's probably something that's, you're not dealing with that regularly. I, I get that. So of course, Mrs. Cinnamon is not a temptation for you. But your, but your phone is, right? The son didn't have one of those, but you do. Your phone is. And so there are some of you that you need to go get, get, talk to somebody that understands like computer and software and phone stuff better than you if you're someone that's not good at that. But you got to get some filters on there so that you can't see everything that you could possibly want to see or some software on there. They may, I mean, this stuff is already invented. You don't have to go and like try to figure it out. There's already software that exists to do this to prevent things from coming under your phone or to not prevent it, but so that the website, like the web addresses that you see, they get sent to someone else so that they can see what you're looking at, which changes your behaviors a lot of times. You join an accountability group, you confess your sins to some Christian friends, you ask them to pray for you, but you got to do something. And if you're here and you go, yeah, Mario, this is great and all, but I've already, like, already tried that. Like, pastor, that's nice advice, but like, I have already felt guilty about porn in the past, and I tried. Okay, what happened? Well, I made it like three weeks, and then I messed up. Okay, good, then what happened at the three-week mark? 
Well, nothing. I just told you I messed up. And then, I, and then what? And then I just I look at porn now. That's the problem. You, you don't give up. Someone pointed out to me this week, they said, you know, we don't do this with other sins. That we don't like tell a lie and then go, oh, I told a lie. I guess I have to lie every day now. <laughs> no, we just say, I've got to, I got to keep fighting this. It is better for you to mess up at the three-week mark and then get back onto the wagon than to give up and look at it every day. And when I say that, I hope no one will walk out of here and go, oh, pastor said it's okay to look at porn as long as we only do it once every three weeks. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. It's bad to look at it any time ever, but I'm also saying if you don't reach perfection, you don't give up the fight against sin. Not if Jesus is your Lord. Not if he died for your sins and he owns you and he doesn't want you to do it and he gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can please him. You keep fighting and you flee temptation. So that's the first point. Here's the second one. Be satisfied with what you have. Be satisfied with what you have. Chapter 5, verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern. That verse is not about water. Okay? Proverbs is poetic. He's not talking about water. And if you're going, well, how can you know? Because you keep reading it and it becomes very explicit what he's talking about. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed. There it is, more water. Nope, look. And take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Some of you did not know that was a Bible verse. What's the dad saying to his son here? Be satisfied with what you have. How does this apply to your life? If you're married... Be content with the spouse that God gave you. If you are here and you are single, be content with every other blessing God has given you. And then the third point is believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for every single sin that would be committed by every single person who would ever believe in him. All of them. And if he died on the cross for every single sin of every single person who would ever believe in him, that means he died on the cross for every single sexual sin. That's good. Jesus died on the cross for sexual sin, and if there ever comes to a point when you are so burdened because you've decided to depart from him, I'll just deal with this myself, I'll live my own life, I'll do my own thing. If and when you come to the point that you are so burdened by the consequences of your sexual sin, and the consequences are many, and the dad in the story points out a whole bunch of them who, that actually seem very contemporary. He talks about how the, the, his, your physical body will be consumed. I don't know what he meant by that. Perhaps he was referring to sexual diseases. I don't even know for sure what he meant when he says strangers will drain your resources and your earnings will end up in a foreigner's house. But that makes it even, I don't know what they meant back then, but nowadays that definitely happens with alimony and child support and lawyer fees and all this stuff. And he says in a, later on, he says, a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes. That it's not just that it costs you financially and it's not just that it does something to your body, but, it, but that God sees what we do. And so if you are ever so burdened by the, the shame of your sexual sin or the consequences of your sexual sin to the point that you go, I, I don't know how to bear up under it anymore. 
I have good news for you. You can, in that moment, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, and he will forgive you without even deliberating. That at the moment that you go, I, I, I can't, this, this is too heavy for me. I, I cannot handle the shame and the consequences of my sexual sin anymore. You turn to Jesus, you repent of your sins, and he will forgive you. God will forgive you, and he won't have to call his angels together and go, hey, is this one worthy? Let's have a discussion. Like, it will just be immediately forgiven and cleansed. That is good news. Let's pray. God, in some ways, this feels like a very weighty message. And yet, there are probably some of us that will not ever reach out to the actual solution to the problem until it feels as weighty as it is. And so in that sense, I, I, I kind of pray for those of us that need it that you would crush us, like crush us gently, <laughs> but get us to the point that we would say, Jesus, I, I want you to save me, and I will follow you. And it's amazing that you would save me and that you would forgive me. So we thank you for being a good God. And we thank you that we have such good news to share. And so I pray for anybody in this room that is burdened by this, that they would do their part, that they would turn to you, that they would continue to fight that they would get back into the battle. And we thank you for doing your part. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for words like this in the book of Proverbs. Maybe some of us didn't even have, we didn't have dads or we didn't have dads that would talk like this and we needed you through the scriptures to make up for that. And so we thank you. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.